Hello and welcome to another episode of Out to Lunch, the podcast where I, Jay Rayner, wine and dine a fabulous guest and get them to share all their secrets with me. This episode, we're out on the town in a real restaurant with a shared table, menus, lovely waiters, the whole kit and caboodle, and boy, did it feel good to be in the same room as my interviewee. My guest is one of Ireland's all-time biggest selling novelists. Over 35 million copies of her award-winning books have been sold. She's been translated into over 30 languages and fetched for her ability to get deep into the lives of her characters. She's also a serious wit and raconteur. She is the marvellous Marion Keys. I sense in you yeah. a bit of a catastrophist. Oh my God, a bit of a catastrophist. Yeah, right. I am a fully, fully, fully blown, yes. So for this episode of Out to Lunch, which is the first one back inside a restaurant for well over six months, Marion Keys didn't really set any major dietary requirements, essentially vegetarian, but she's a bit flexible on that. Um, so I thought I could take her anywhere. So we have come to the Mandarin Oriental Hotel in London's Knightsbridge, which is home to dinner by Heston Blumenthal. Heston has the Michelin three-star fat duck uh, over in Bray. But this is his tribute to historical British cooking. He, he's obsessive about his research. He takes great historical British recipes and then turns them to the light. Um, I first came here when it opened in 2011, uh, over, you know, over 10 years ago. It was fabulous then. I suspect it's going to be fabulous now. Should we go inside? I feel like Henry VIII. This I is hilarious. It is hilarious. Yeah. So we've got wooden beams, yeah. we've got filament light bulbs, and everything is heavy. Yeah. It's, yes. And you've taken this. I, I think yeah, I'm getting relaxed. Well. Yeah. Let's have put my hair up. I'm going to read you a quote from from um, the Dolly Alderton oh, yes. uh, podcast unit. Well, I know obviously... what you're going to say. I know what you're going to okay. say. Yeah, I yeah, right. bet it's so like this feeling is guilty. 2018, yeah. yeah. I have never put a bite of food in my mouth or that feeling guilty ever. No matter how little I eat, there's always a little voice that says you could have eaten less. So, Marion Keys, welcome to Out to Lunch, where I interview fabulous people over fabulous food. Is there, I mean, I know that you are somewhat suspicious of Catholic ritual. So, is there any way I can offer you secular absolution so that you can enjoy this without feeling guilty in some way? Well, you can. In that, I, I, I walked here today and it took me 40 minutes. And uh, Roughly? What, how, how far away? From Mortimer Street in W1. Yeah. No, it was gorgeous. It, it is was, a gorgeous yeah. day. And I came to Mayfair, which is just like, it's like visiting another planet. But that's not why you walked, is it? It kind of is. No, but I would have walked anyway. Okay. Yeah, because I try and exercise most days. This yeah. is Hubert. Hi, lovely nice to, meet to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Would you like some water to start you off? Ah, uh, yes, thanks. Sparkling, thanks. The funny thing is, Marion, for all those comments about food, you write about it brilliantly. Oh, do I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, I'm reading Grown Ups at the moment. I'm Thank all the way you. through. Um, but food is a major theme because Jesse, Casey, has a food business. Yes, um, yes. And you've got into it brilliantly, your description also of the world of international chefs that she tries oh, to lure in. I did oh. howl with laughter at the idea of a Korean-Swiss mashup. Yeah, um, but it's not impossible, is it? No, 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 yeah. no, nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing is impossible. Yeah. Um, you see, I love it. I love all of that. Like, I love, I love interesting restaurants. I love... I came here, like, 12 years ago when it opened because... And my husband is interested the same way as I am but he would eat anything 
like you know he he would see the more revolting the better like as a challenge so yeah we both get quite hang on hang on. we have to unpack the word revolting what, oh, what defines revolting most things but like we went to estonia he ate bear um we were somewhere in france and on the the menu was like cox combs you know the free yeah, bit of the top of the head. Them and a bit sort yeah of yeah and like he he ordered it and like literally layer upon layer of management came out to warn him not to have it and you know and by the time he had it like you know the kitchen porters like everybody was like watching from their their stations to watch le roast beef eating the very french revolting thing i literally couldn't watch you know i had to eat my dinner like with my hand over my eyes but i could hear this crunching noise and it just oh it turned out to be not the the coxcomb it turned out to be monge too but like you know <laughs> i was in the horrors from the whole thing you kind of told us that you were vegetarian, but then you've often said you're not quite vegetarian yeah. as long as they don't have eyes and ears. That's and... right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in any way morally opposed to eating dead things. It's just I find it mostly revolting. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah. Fine. Well, we don't, want to, we don't yeah. want to revolt you. Yeah, but I already know what I'm having. Do you? Oh, my God. Although there is something else to have, which we know oh, is not okay. listed on here. OK. Is that right, Hubert? I think so. OK. Yeah. So at the top... Um, do you want to explain what the, this restaurant is about? Essentially, yeah, I've been here before. It's all you've been before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So but yeah. none of the listeners have. So do you want to oh, explain? Yeah. Sorry, I beg your pardon. <laughs> sorry, I'd forgotten. Yes. Absolutely. So essentially, here at dinner, uh, we take inspiration from British historical dishes. Okay. So on the menu, um, essentially, we have printed the uh, the dish, and then next to it is printed the year, which is sort of the time period from which we take inspiration from. And on the reverse of the menu are the sources of origin. So Heston Blumenthal has done a lot of research into the past eating habits of people of Britain. Okay. And then essentially he's got some references, different uh, manuals, uh, recipe books, etc. Okay. We never really try to replicate an old dish. We take a combination of ingredients or a cooking technique and then implement it into a new uh, way to create a new new dish for you, essentially. So you already know what you yeah. want. Well, I won't interfere with it apart from to tell, tell you me the, the, yeah, tell me the, the, the one other thing that yeah. there is. So the meat fruit is a famous dish because it is a chicken liver parfait made to look like a mandarin orange. And they do a non-meat version of that, which is made to look like a truffle. <gasps> okay. Made with, I'm just, just laying yes. it out there. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'll have that. I was actually going to have the meat fruit. Um, well, I'll get the meat fruit. Yeah. Cut I just, halfway. I just think it's so, it's such fun. And it's so incredibly beautifully done. And there's absolutely Literally, no indication that it came from, ever came that from that Emma a, had a, a, a pulse. But if we get yeah. the truffle and the meat fruit between be us, lovely. we can split them, okay. even on this extraordinarily okay. wide, socially distant table. Right. The cauliflower. Thank cauliflower. you. Absolutely. Yes. And I will have the powdered duck. Powdered duck. The duck will be served pink if that's okay for you. That's perfectly mm -hmm. good by me. Amazing. Any side orders with you? I think the, the portions are quite generous. So unless you really fancy maybe some triple cooked chips or... We fancy some triple cooked chips. Did we do? Yeah, yes. We do. And just to mention one last thing from me, there also is the um, uh, very special dessert, the tipsy cake. And this one takes about an hour to prepare. So if you would okay. like to have it, let me know in advance. I is won't. It? Thank you very okay. much. But Thanks. I will. We I'll have the samba card, which is a sort of a goat's milk cheesecake, apple and elderflower jam inside. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. Look at that. We've ordered all three courses right Wonderful. The Thank you so much. I've become slightly obsessed by a Twitter account called Fesshole. Fesshole? I don't know if you've come across no. this. No. All right. Um, so Fesshole is a, an anonymous confession mm. um, account. 
And what strikes me about it is that every single one of these is a little short story in 240 characters. Oh, here's one. My husband is called Nigel. I hate his name so much that for the, <laughs> that for the first year of dating, I did not once utter his name. I love it. And, oh, my God. So people are just... They they confess anonymously and then they edit it and take the ones... Um, oh, my God. Poor Nigel. Poor Nigel. What's striking, you know, let's say I'm reading Grown Ups at the moment, is how much of that stuff is going on in your characters' lives. The tiny incident, or the big one, mm. that leads them on. Do you hunt this stuff down? Is it... Sometimes. Mm. This is going to sound creepy. Oh, good. Every person I meet, I'm taking notes subconsciously. I'm not sitting here... No, no, no. ...studying you because... I'm that not as grand to think that I'd be worth taking notes on. You are, you are fascinating, like you are. But when I'm with a person, I'm with them. But something goes on without my say-so, where I'm sort of scanning, kind of doing emotional reconstructions. Or, or just I'm interested because there's such a huge chasm between the self that we present to the outside world and who we really are. Like, it's it's galaxies wide um there's so much in every human being that they never show to another person that they may not even know themselves um that's what i find interesting i mean i think very much in grown-ups they're all presenting this tiny little sliver of their best self to each other but there is so much going on as with any of us so much of the real stuff going on and one of the things that really interests me and terrifies me is the parts of ourselves. Most of us are strangers to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We only know tiny bits. And sometimes we sabotage ourselves. Or things happen, we do things, and we think that is completely not in my my moral um, kit bag. It's not. And we think, why did I do that? And that's... There will always be people who insist that they are characters in my book, ah. yeah, or that they that they know somebody who is in my book. I mean, and you can't, you can't legislate for that. I mean, because again, how we see ourselves is very different from how the world sees ourselves. So people are walking around with a picture of themselves and they see somebody in one of my books and they think, that's me. She's after putting me in her book. Um, it's quite a grand thing to think, isn't it? People do think it though. I mean, I would never put a real person in a book, because I think it would be a really cruel thing to do. Um, I'm, I'm going through my mental Rolodex to see whether I've done it once. Once. You were young. Yes, I was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, I was. Yeah. You wouldn't do it now. No, I don't think I would. Uh, Thank you. Truffle. Uh, which is a parfait made with a mushroom, button and Paris uh, shiitake mushroom. Uh, we have it rolled into a winter truffle and a piece of farmhouse toast on the side. Thank you. And of course, for itself, the meat fruit chicken of the parfait inside of a mandarin gel. Don't eat the leaf, it's just for decoration. The skin, however, is all edible. Okay. Thanks a million. You've described yourself in, in childhood as uh, down the Samuel Beckett end of unhappiness. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you said that yeah. you, you said there's a spread. Look, I think the thing we have to acknowledge here, Marion, is that you're very good at talking about yourself and creating the lines. 
the 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 lines run run right. fast. Yeah. I, I, you know, if 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 anecdotage was entered yeah. as an Olympic sport, all the other countries would refuse because the Irish would win. Thank you. That's lovely to hear, and I agree. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have carved your your life into it. So if I throw them back at you, sure, I, there's, it's yeah. only your fault. Is all no, I can say. No, it's fine. It's just I actually think that's quite funny. You know about the Samuel Beckett thing. Yeah. No, I was. Were you really miserable as a kid? I was really miserable. I mean, I I feel like oh here comes Marion with her sad stories again. But I was. I just I never felt right in the world. I was always afraid and. Um, Never, I mean, this is awful because my parents were lovely and they were so kind of obedient and so good at doing what they were supposed to do. But I just never trusted anyone to take care of me. Um, and I was terrified of doing the right, of terrified of being late, terrified of being late for school. Like that started really early. You once said you, you wore your nighty over your school uniform yes. so you could whip it off and you'd yeah, be ready to I'm go. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, and, and I never felt comfortable with kids my own age like I never seemed to be at ease in myself you know that way when you just forget who you are mm -hmm. that happened really rarely um and I always seemed to be kind of on the outside it's funny I heard somebody yesterday say um that they felt that they had been out sick the day that the leaflet on the instructions to life when that was given out and I've always felt like that that everybody else got the memo and I missed it and so I spent a lot of my time watching other people on how they learnt to be in the world like the things you said and the things you were supposed to like and the things you were supposed to not like and but there is a, a, a massive contradiction there which I'm sure you recognize which is in your writing one of the things of the many things that you're brilliant at is that minute calibration of people's responses, their take on the world, the things that make them tick, the delineation between people. I mean, in Grown Ups, the latest, um, I, when I opened and saw there was a, a family tree, I was slightly terrified, thinking, how in God's name am I going to keep up with the... Yeah. Are there 18 characters listed yeah, in the family yeah, tree? Are, yeah. Or something like that. And yet you do that with utter brilliance so that you're immediately on top of it and you know who's talking and which one's which. Thank and it, you. Uh, but it, it shows an intense understanding of how people tick. So you say you didn't get the memo and yet yeah. you seem to have got the whole bloody manual. But no, it's because I learned on the job. Like I learned it by watching other people. I think when you're always on the outside, it's actually incredibly useful to understanding other people. Um, and all I did was study people. And I had... Intent. Were you already doing that as a kid? Oh, my God, completely. And I could see situations, like everything would be transparent to me. I could see friendships that weren't going to last. I could see rows brewing. You know, I could see people becoming closer. I mean, and all of it was kind of in relation to my self-preservation. You know, if I could see a row brewing between two other people, I used to think, oh, well, that may, might create a vacancy, you know, or an opening for me. So, like, I had intense emotional intelligence about other people, but none about myself. Um, and it was only after I, I, I stopped drinking and got sober when I was 30. And it was after that that I started to kind of bring that kind of forensic analysis onto my own interiority. When you first started, how old were you when you... 14. For, yeah. It's yeah. pretty average. I think it is. Oh, like, a lot of people go, <gasps> you know, I mean, cop on. Like, what of do course. people think their teenage kids are doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Did the first exp first experiences, not necessarily the first one, did they make you feel 
more able to function around yeah. other people. It was, it was instant. It was, to quote the French, a coupe de foudre. You know, like it was, it was amazing because suddenly I felt the way I thought other people felt all the time. Suddenly I felt normal. And it was like finding the missing bit. It was, this is what I needed. This is what I can access. And now I'll be able for life. I mean, it was, it was as clear as that. And, you know, I wasn't physiologically addicted from the first time, but emotionally, like I was in thrall, I was all in. I mean, I, I'm always interested in this sort of wiring. I've, I've said, you know, I went through my entire narcotic phase between the age of 13 and 18. Oh, wow. I did everything. <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah. but there was a particular moment I love doing Revelation. Yeah. When I was, I think it was my 18th birthday and yeah. somebody gave me two lines of cocaine. Yes. And I took them yes. and I thought to myself, this is too good, you must never do this again. Whereas you clearly had the drink and went, this is great, I'll do this every Ever, time. Forever. Yes. My God, aren't you, I like, I just. No, I don't think I'm mature, I just think I'm wired in a different way. Yeah, you are, but I, I find it fascinating that some people can think, this is lovely and I have to stop, and they stop. But for me, it was the absolute opposite. Ah. Oh, my cauliflower, thank you so much. Many things are coming. <gasps> my duck. Oh. I'll leave the triple cook chips. Thank you. Diplomatically in the middle. Who's thank got the longer you. arms? <laughs> Another for yourself, we have the oh, cauliflower. Thank First cauliflower you. as well as cauliflower cream. Finishing thank with you. a little bit of smoked mushroom juice. And then on the side is the macros part of the dish. So macros is the shape of the pasta. Pasta Ooh, with cauliflower. Pasta. Exactly. Ooh. As well as a little bit of mushroom puree finished with chives and truffle as well. Thank you. So for yourself, we have the uh, powdered duck breast with a roast beetroot, pickled beetroot gel, as well as ambles, which in this case is the um, uh, duck heart, just on top of the duck breast. Brilliant. A little bit of sauce on the side for you. And then I got you a uh, mushroom ketchup to go like triple cut chips as well, just so you can try it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Do you ever worry about Ireland getting um, too modern? And, no, uh, <laughs> I don't. I mean, it's, it's the, the, yeah. the leaps that have been made. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, in the break, you, you have yeah. a, an abortion uh, yes, yes, plot, yes, yes. which was, you've described it as your gift. Yes. To, dis to talk to the, about that in detail. Yeah, it was coming up to the Repeal the Eighth campaign and, um, you know, in so many ways, Ireland has made such incredible yes, strides. The yeah. fact, you know, there's Leo Varadkar, an openly gay man, as your yeah. prime minister, had a female president, or the eighth. Has been, yeah. All of that has yeah. happened. Yeah. No, uh, I really don't worry. Ireland's not going to become too modern a nation for oh, you to have to worry about no. the administrations. That would have been. No, no. I mean, uh, sadly not. I mean, as it turns out, like our, we have a new maternity hospital and somehow or another, and I do not know how it happened, it's still in the control of the bloody nuns. You know, I know, I know. And I, I am, if I talk about it too much, I will explode with rage. So we're not going to. But so that means for now, your books are all to be set in Ireland? No, I mean, the one I'm writing at the moment is set partly in Ireland and partly in New York. But the next one I'm writing well, I, have, I mean, I say, I mean, Jesus, I have to finish the one I'm doing. But no, I was thinking, I wanted to write about a group of people who've been friends for over 40 years. And this is, this is, my, this is my twist 
They, did, they did not meet at uni. You know, those awful, <sighs> oh, those incredibly wearying middle-class novels where they all meet at uni and somebody sleeps with somebody else and, and then they go off. And what and will ma- they become? Yeah, yeah. But this is going to be about people who met in um, a group of squats in, because I lived in a squat when I first came to London. Brilliant. And yeah, and that, and between everything, you know, there's about seven of them, seven or eight of them, and they, and they you know, stayed friends or stayed frenemies even, you know, that they were jealous of each other's progress and stuff. But that's going to be set in the UK. Um, I might have one Irish character, but I just think because it's going to involve politics. Um, Do you ever th- see the Vanessa Engel documentary about the Villa Road squat in Brixton? No. Uh, it's a, I mean, sorry, it's really annoying when someone's writing a book on one thing and someone says, have no, you no, seen no, this? I'm I, I always, always interested, always but, interested. But it's, it's the Villa, Villa Road is a particular line of houses in Brixton in South yeah. London where I live. Um, and Villa Road was well known for being a line of squats. Um, In fact, one whole side of the road is now gone and there's a park on the other side. Right. But this particular Villa Road squat, very famous. Eventually, the police pulled them out. But uh, Vanessa Engel, a great documentary maker, made a a film about the Villa Road squat. And it ends with a glorious uh, account of them all looking to camera and answering the question, what do you do now? And it's... I work for so, the Economist. Yes, yes, I, yes, yeah, yes. I am a civil servant. Yeah. I am um, a head teacher of a school. Then, uh, but she's got the footage. So I, I think she made. Love it. Um, yeah. And there's an assumption that if you start in a squat, where will you end? Yeah, that you'll be going round with the dog and a string for the rest of your life. How long were you in a squat for? Oh my God, less than and a year. And where was it? It was in Hackney. Of course, it, it was. Yes, it was. It was fabulous. It was the twenty-first floor of a, a tower block. It was the top floor in in Hackney. And... Did the lifts always work? Never. Like, never. Not only did they never work, but the odd time you did get... I got stuck in it twice and the fire brigade had to come and, and lift me out. I mean, and it was just... Because I was so... I lived this kind of very, oh, you know, dull life, safe life in Ireland. I was just delighted. Like, I'd get into the lift and there'd be, like, two men and with a knife and an Alsatian. I'd be like, this is living, yeah. And um, but walking up twenty-one floors, did you? Grand, literally I was do that? young. I was young. You know, I'm actually having palpitations. I'm quite a fit man, but even yeah. now, that's just oh no! Me. Like every single thing of it was was just it was just delicious. Hi there, I'm Ollie. I'm the executive producer on Out to Lunch, and this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Imagine you had the time it takes to have lunch, gifted to you each day, an extra hour. What would you do with that time? For me personally, after listening to Out to Lunch in a swanky new restaurant, I'd love to spend more time actually sampling the food there myself. Now, a lot of us wish we had more time, but in reality, if something is really important, then we make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. It can help you clear your head and take control of your life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Plus, it's entirely online to save those precious minutes. With over a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash out to lunch. That's better, H-E-L-P, dot com slash out to lunch. 
There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. I sense in you yeah. a bit of a catastrophist. Oh my God, a bit of a catastrophist. Yeah, right. I am a fully, fully full blown. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Um, I mean, I can usually kind of rein myself back after a while, but like when anything, like when, when the whole COVID thing started, I was already a widow, you know, and I had already... But Tony had gone. Yeah, oh, he died. Yeah. For the record, Tony has not died. Yeah. He's absolutely yeah. fine. He's over in Morton. Yeah, yeah. And like, I was planning... How would I live? And and then I was thinking, Christ, I'm going to have to learn how to do the the whole computer system that he does, do you know? And I was thinking, would he be offended if I asked for tutorials in it now, like planning for his imminent death? And uh, If it helps, as I, I, I've been quite public about it, so I recently had a hip replacement. Oh, God. And before that, um, I... Put together an entire file yes. for my other half on how to manage life should I die on under the table. The, yes, under the anaesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, right, that is helpful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, it's very detailed. And um, she looked at it and went, well, it'll probably be useful sometime, won't it? <laughs> Not just yet. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't die. You, you do make it sound like you've mined all these bits of your life. Yeah. And all of your life, obviously, has been happy. You went, went through a, a, mm. a terrible depressive period at the beginning of the yeah. teens, do we call it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, at the end of 2009, it started. Yeah, that was that was horrific. Like, I'm not going to... And it shut you down as a writer, didn't it? It did. It did. Everything about that was awful. Like, I can look back at my alcoholism and, and kind of feel... I kind of feel, you know, I'm look, I'm fine. You know, I'm sober. I love being sober. I feel so lucky, all that... Um, there was kind of nothing good that came out of that terrible time. Yeah, that was, it was awful. And I, I couldn't write for ages. And then when I did try to write, it was, I could only do it in kind of little bursts. And then like there would be months of nothing. And then when I did try and write, I'd get like, you know, a paragraph or something or some kind of glimmering of a character and I think, oh, God, that's nice. I like that. And and as it turned out, the book that I did write on and off during that time was about a woman who had exactly the same thoughts as I had. You know, the, the, the terror and the, the dread and the suicidal ideation. Um, and actually, that was very comforting to write about because I had never... I tried really hard to find somebody who felt the same way that I felt going through it and uh, it took me a long time so I decided because I couldn't find it I'd write it and uh, was it more therapeutic than any was. number of the pharmaceuticals yeah, and the talking it therapies it genuinely was um, yeah I mean and I God anything anybody told me to do I did it like I was so obedient I was so desperate to not feel the way I felt that I would have done anything but writing it it's the only book I've used in that way like, people say that they write novels for catharsis. Like, I don't, and I actually find that incredibly uncomfortable, that idea. I, 
I'm not judging anyone else, but I don't want to do it. I want to be on very comfortable, solid ground with anything I write. I do not want to be exploring myself and my psyche really? when I'm doing I really don't. Mm. I, I don't know why. I do that in is another that, space. I was going to say, is that because yeah. you do that on a regular basis yeah. anyway? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I just feel when I'm writing a book, I'm writing... I don't know, to entertain. I'm trying to entertain myself, like I'm my first reader, as well as other people. You, you want know. to write a book that you would read? Yes. And, like, I don't want to to muddy the waters with my own stuff. Um, and, you know, so this, this book, The Mystery of Mercy Close, is the only one I've written where I was using it to help myself. And how do you look back upon that book? It's funny. I had to kind of speed read it recently because I'm writing another book at the moment about her sister. There are five sisters in the family and I had to speed read it and because I can't, I just, anything I've ever written, I just can't, I, 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 because I just want to start editing it and red penning it. And actually I thought it was great, you know, and I mean, you're not allowed to say that, you know, you're, nobody's oh, I a, think you are. Okay, well, I did you think it was great. Okay, 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 right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought her description of that way of, of feeling that way was like really oh god really had impact but it was very funny as well i'd forgotten about that we're going back to that thing you said when you were a kid reading mm. enid blyton or whatever and disappearing into that world and that being very special to you given what you write about mm. i am stone cold certain readers come and tell you all the time that it was as if you were speaking directly to them they do and i feel honest to god i genuinely feel honored i I said at the start that I feel lucky. I feel so lucky that I'm allowed to do this because my books are very conversational, you know, and I, they're chatty. Um, and a lot of them are written in the first person and I don't really know any other way to write. And to be allowed to do this and to be published and to have it as a job and make a living from it and to get people responding and saying, you helped me, or I thought I was the only person who felt like that, that actually, on an emotional level, makes me feel like less of an oddball, you know, or less of a, a, a defect. I always felt very defective as a person. And, and by writing about those feelings, they've kind of taken them away. One of the particular features of your books is that you go for happy endings. Yes. You believe in a happy ending. I do. Because most of the time, I find the world very painful. And I would... And, but there are, there are... There are pockets of joy everywhere. You know, they may be fleeting, but they're there and they're real while they're there. And I, I need that. Because I couldn't, I couldn't cope if I didn't have have hope, I suppose. Um, yeah, and the happy ending in everybody's life, things are okay at some stage. Yes. You know, like they go to shit again for, you know, shortly afterwards. <laughs> but, but like in that moment, it's all right. And I think, Grant, end of there, quick, 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 before anything changes. Well, well everything's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, definitely the happy ending is for me. You know, without a it's, doubt. And, and does it make you feel yeah, it does. happy? It does, it does, it does, it does, it does. Yeah, it does. Because I suppose most of my characters 
go to plenty in any of my novels. Like they go to stuff like all my books are about people being bumped against that that life event where they where they think this wasn't supposed to happen to me. Like nearly all of them. That that seems to be the common thread. And and I need well I need to believe that people can be happy again. But I suppose I've gone through t- two kind of awful things like the alcoholism and and the, the, the lengthy spell of suicidal depression and I did get better you know so I feel in a way that there's proof in me that things can get better I mean and I don't deny that that things go bad again like after my dad died I had six months of weirdness what is weird when you lose a parent it's weird when you lose it's a parent. It's so weird. Weird is the very e- even word. Even if you can accept at the age that yeah, we are, because I we know. are quite similar yes. age, yeah. that, that, that it is the natural way a, of the thing. Yes, it doesn't matter how how old you are, I've realised. I mean, I knew that anyway, because enough people would say it. But yeah, it's just very, very, very strange. It's strange. More than sad. It was It was a dislocation. It was a... A bump in the universe, you know, like, and, and kind of things got rearranged in the oddest ways. Yeah, right. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Um, and you, I, I don't normally quote Martin Amis, because he's <laughs> not one of my favourite writers. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> um, but he did once say it was a little bit like you get bumped up the, the bench in the waiting room. Oh, Christ, yeah. I mean, there's that. But... Oh my God! Thank you so much. Dessert has much. arrived. I have to remind myself what it was that you oh, ordered. Oh, a, a cheesecake! Thank you so much. First up is the uh, sambuca, which is yep. goat's milk cheesecake with yes. apple and elderflower jam inside of it. <gasps> Around the edge are the pickled berries and smoked candied walnuts. Yes, thank you so so much. And of course, the tipsy cake—it's a freshly baked brioche with salted wine, brandy, and vanilla cream, and a slice of a spitless pie. Mm. What do you get? A slice of what? Uh, spit roast pineapple. Spit roast pineapple. Ooh. That's, I think, mm. one of the things that takes a long time. It's up on a spit outside, That's right, turning yeah. slowly for hours. Three to four hours, depending on season and thickness. So we would have been roasting your pineapple over the morning, and these pineapples which are roasting now, they'll be ready for dinner service. Perfect. Amazing. Yeah. Could I organise a cup of coffee or a tea for you? Not for me, no. thank you. Oh, fine. Thank you. Thank you. Well, mm. I have to say, from that mm. first quote that I read you about mm. guilt... Mm. around food and not feeling, mm. feeling always feeling guilt about mm. something you put in your mouth. Mm. You've been a fabulous lunch guest. I'm so glad. And I have not mm. sensed any of that at any, at any point. Well, it has been lovely. It's been really, really lovely. It's been really lovely. Well, then what I'm going to say is, um, Marion Keyes, thank you very much for coming out to lunch with me. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Jay. Really, it's been gorgeous. Thanks again to the wonderful Marion Keys. What great company for our first dip back into real life dining. Her most recent book is Grown Ups and Damn Fine It Is Too. We ate at dinner by Heston Blumenthal at the Mandarin Oriental in Knightsbridge, London. A huge thank you to everyone there. And if you enjoyed that and fancy seconds, why not have a peruse of the Out to Lunch back catalogue? There is a lot of good stuff. Give us a review. Why not five stars? You know we deserve it. Out to Lunch is a something else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by me, Jay Rayner and Robert Rickham. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The producers were Selena Ream and Jemima Rathbone. And the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's the brilliantly incisive comedian, it's Nish Kumar. That does include the Home Secretary, Bridget Patel. Indeed, yes. 
every Asian kid's least favourite aunt. 